reading today is uh, from Mark uh, chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You have one thing, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked round at his disciples. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now and in this age, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for all the ways that you brought us together in this place, for your purpose. Fill our hearts and our minds with your spirit, that we may sense your wisdom and may follow it out of this place to serve you in all of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, and we begin our Lenten journey that leads us to the celebration of Easter as mainline Protestants, we use Lent as a time of reflection and a time of teaching. And so the teachings that we get from the narrative lectionary from Jesus teaching in Mark, some of them will be challenging in the way that maybe the season of Lent is challenging for us. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, in chapter 10 here, is setting out on a journey. And this, this story is oftentimes referred to as the rich young man or the rich young ruler. 
happens in a couple of the Gospels and uh, has a little bit different texture in each of the Gospels. But in Mark's telling the story, the details are important for us today here in this season for us. In the beginning of the story, we don't know the man is wealthy. He comes, he throws himself uh, on the ground in front of the teacher and says something that seems very appropriate and very, very pious in all the best sense, in, in the best part of that word, right? He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not trying to trick Jesus. This isn't a Pharisee or a lawyer. He's honestly asking the question because he's working on it. That's the deal. And Jesus says to him, well, you know the law. And he lists some of the commandments that are the law as a way of saying these are the things you're supposed to do. And it looks like you probably know that. And he says, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now, imagine the, the actual inter, interchange between Jesus and this man and the, maybe the dramatic way in which his face rises and falls. He comes really imploring. He feels kind of inspired when Jesus gives him an answer that he can res resonate with. He says, I've done that. And Jesus looks at him, loves him, and says something he knows the man will not like. Looking at him, he loved him and said, <clears throat> one thing you lack, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. You can imagine the man's face falling. And he leaves grieving, for he had many possessions. It's not until right there at the end of this dialogue that we understand this is a rich man speaking to Jesus. And he leaves grieving and chooses not to follow where Jesus invites him because of his possessions. That becomes the point of this teaching in this story. So then Jesus turns to his disciples and takes the opportunity as a teaching moment. And he says to his disciples, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is not what the man came inquiring about. There are two different things that go back and forth in the way that Jesus teaches about following and being a disciple. The man came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was asking about the eternal life when he dies. What must I do in this life to have that life? And Jesus was inviting him into the kingdom of God. Inheriting eternal life in the kingdom of God, they may be similar, but they're not the same thing. Not in the way that Jesus teaches, because most often Jesus teaches that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is now. What Jesus was inviting this young man into was not an eternal vow of poverty. It was the invitation into the present tense kingdom of God. So he turns to his disciples and says, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter this kingdom. And his disciples look at him, what? I mean, they just in the story before thought they were starting to get it. And now they, they don't, and, and so he, he emphasizes it again. He says, children, 
And so it's like we were talking and I said to you, kids, 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 listen, kids, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It would be easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. It's a poetic image. Uh, Walter Brueggemann says, a camel can go through the eye of a needle. It's just really long and skinny when it comes out the other side. <laughs> it's impossible for this to happen. And the disciples say, well then, what hope is there for any of us? And Jesus says, there's not. Not for you, because you can't do it. But for God, all things are possible. So put your hope in that. And Peter takes the opportunity to stand up and say, well, look, Jesus, we, we left all these things for you. And he gives this list. And again, I hate it when Jesus gives lists. I just do. But it's important to notice that, that there's a difference between what Jesus asked of the rich man and what Jesus asked of the disciples. Because when he was calling them along the shoreline, he didn't say, take your boats and your nets, sell them and give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. He just said, come follow me. And later in the story, the disciples will go back to their boats and their nets and do some fishing. Because those are not things that are standing between the disciples and their relationship with God. But his wealth was something that was standing between the rich young man and God. That's the lesson. Jesus says to Peter, you're right. You have given up these things and blessed are you because of that. You will be rewarded. There is not, and he gives this list. Two weeks ago, he gave this list of the things that defile, that come out of people. And it was a great list. Licentiousness, avarice, villainy, and then folly at the end of like, All those things were bad until we got to folly. What, folly? Fooling around is evil? And, nah. Jesus never leaves us in a happy place, usually, when he gives a list. So today, the same is true. None of you who have left anything for me will not be rewarded with houses, with wives and daughters and brothers and fields, with persecutions. Stinger at the end. What? I, why do you have to? Why? Because that's a statement of reality. The reality is that the things that you think are rewards, they, they come with their struggles. And those are not any less blessed by God, but it doesn't feel like it at the time. Jesus then says, <clears throat> the kingdom is what's the point. And he always draws a distinction between the kingdom that's now and the kingdom that will be. The kingdom that is now is what he was inviting the rich young man into. Into that kingdom of heaven which is present tense, here with me in community. The, my definition for you is, is the kingdom of God that, God that Jesus is mostly teaching about in most of his ministry is that kingdom of present tense community in which we experience safety and wholeness and interdependence on God together. And there are lots of things that stand in our way for us individually, for us as a community, for us as a society. Wealth may be one of those things for us in a variety of ways. But wealth is oftentimes something that's misunderstood. Uh, 
Jesus actually teaches more about money and wealth. He uses those as illustrations in his teaching more than anything else. More than love, faith, or hope. Combined, Jesus talks about money and wealth. We ought to be paying attention to this. So, uh, for the season of Lent, for the midweek services that we begin this Wednesday, um, I'm going to be using wealth as a, as a focus for a series, a five-part series for the season of Lent, to invite us into a deeper contemplation of how, what our relationship is with wealth. As a tool for that, I'm going to use this book by Lynn Twist called The Soul of Money. Lynn Twist is a, uh, a woman who has worked in philanthropy and uh, planned giving and fundraising for global nonprofits for decades. She worked with Mother Teresa and corp- global corporations around the world and has a huge perspective to bring when, it talks to, when she talks to us about how we understand and our relationship with money and our wealth. She specifically uh, uses what I'm going to use as uh, themes for each of the weeks, and that is um, the toxic myths of scarcity. We as a society have given in and believe in our heart of hearts the way we function into some, some things that are flat out lies about the world in which we live. Her, her highlights of those toxic myths are these. She has three that she, we'll use five, but there's three that she highlights that are most important. The first is this, the myth that there's not enough. The second thing is that more is better. And finally, that's just the way it is. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these are lies. These are lies that we live with on so many levels in our culture and our society. We're going to talk about them over the next five weeks. And so, for example, the first, that there's not enough. Her contention, and it's mine as well, is that no matter what resource or thing you're talking about in our society, there is enough. But there's a difference between having enough and being able to do whatever we want. So, for example, just locally, this is one example. The Colorado River Basin has enough water for everyone that benefits from it, from California to the the Sonoran Desert. All of us have enough water in the Colorado River Basin for our needs. But that's different than fulfilling the needs for the city of Scottsdale and providing enough water so that everyone gets to have a lush green lawn in the Sonoran Desert. So there's a difference between having enough and having enough to do whatever I want with. That's a hard challenge for us. So that's the first uh, toxic myth of scarcity, that there's not enough. The second is this, that more is better. We know that this isn't right. We see, oh yeah, well, one drink at the bar is good, so more must be better, right? Now we know that's not true. Right now I'm thinking to myself, medicine for my back is good, more must be better, right? I know that's not true. More is better is a, is a myth in so many contexts that we still allow to define who we are and how we are in the world. And finally, that's just the way it is. When we look at the world around us and we think about the injustices of these things, the injustices of wealth in our world, we look at the, 
multinational corporations, huge banks, big millionaires and billionaires, we think they're untouchable. There's something about the system that functions beyond what is touchable for us, and it's just not true. Those may be untouchable for the time being, but you know what is touchable? Your neighbor, the community around you, and that's what has the power to change the international corporations and the way in which our world functions. It's a, it's a myth that we live with and allow to have power. Lynn Twist, in our series for, this, uh, for the season of Lent, will talk about these things and unpack them and use scripture to help inform how we see these things. But this today brings us back to the rich young man because the myths of wealth were what he was allowing to have power in his life. And Jesus was calling him to something different. Jesus was calling him into community. Again, he didn't tell the man, take a vow of poverty. That's not what he was telling him. He invited him to get rid of the things that were standing between him and his relationship with God. And then he said, follow me. Because in following me, you will experience the kingdom of God now. The presence of the community in which you live. That's what we're being called to. And this season of Lent may be an opportunity for us to evaluate those things that might be standing between us and God. Those things that might be standing between us and our neighbor. And you may be thinking in your heart of hearts as I say that. That's just not possible. That there are those things in our lives that have so much power that we don't see that it's possible. Like the disciples we say to Jesus, how can this be? Does anyone have any hope? And Jesus' answer for them is the answer for us today. Yeah, you're right. For you, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible.